Frank, it has been a quite a long time since we both got on a microphone together. That's right. We were at MS Bill doing all those interviews, and that afforded us a little time to not talk to each other, but we're back. We're talking to each other. Yeah, a little, a little inside baseball, a little inside soccer for everyone. We did you know, reunite for WWDC, which was really fun. Uh, if you didn't mm-hmm. listen to that episode, it was quite interesting because you and I were sitting in the same room doing lapel microphones. And I'm thinking about maybe even upgrading that scenario over time, but it was quite fun to just sit together and and talk. But now you're traveling. It was funny because I traveled for nearly yeah. a whole month, the entire month of June, but now you're gone out of Seattle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we don't really coordinate our schedules at all. It's just more fun this way. We're just like, where in the world is James? Where in the world is Frank? It's more fun. Yeah. So I'm recording from beautiful Brooklyn, New York this summer. Just taking a little time to enjoy a different part of the country and get a good accent, eat lots of pizza, do that kind of stuff. So when you roll up into Brooklyn, do you just bust out a bunch of Beastie Boys? <laughs> That's a great no idea. Till wow, just really, you got really sentimental there for a minute. Oh, yeah, that sounds lovely. But no, I didn't do that. I bought a bicycle though and managed to fall off it on my first day. So that's good. Good job, Frank. <laughs> good job, Frank. And I, you know, I want to say here on the bicycle situation, <laughs> I may have been some inspiration, but I did. You tweeted out a photo of the new bike, and I said immediately, what did I say immediately? Remove those toe cages. Get them off. They're dangerous. And I said, yeah, I totally agree with you, but, James, but I'm lazy. (laughs) And -hmm. the cages did not come off, and my foot did not come out of the cage. (laughs) And the ground hit my foot, and it hurt. And I was very upset with myself, mostly for ignoring your advice, but... Also for the blood all over my shin. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't too big of an accident. I saw the results no. and I've yeah. definitely done a lot worse. I like straps that you can optionally go in and out of. In fact, if I on my fixed gear, my right side is very worn and my left side is not because usually what I do is I'll have one foot in the strap and the uh, other one not in the strap. Yeah. Yeah. And Stand I do this. Foot. A standing foot. It's a nice standing foot, but also an emergency foot. And you really mm. actually want the cage or the strap because when you're pedaling, you get a lot of extra resistance going back and you can actually uh, really, whatever yeah. the mathematical algorithm <laughs> of force and physics is, you uh-huh. want that. However, you do want to not fall. Mm. Not fall is a great feature. (laughs) Yeah, so I could be super efficient or I could just get a bloody knee. No, I think um, my philosophy is I really don't need the extra efficiency. I just want the safety. So I think I'll try your straps, though. Everyone on the Twitter seems to be recommending them and praising them. So I think I might give them a shot. But until then, uh, just FYI, because I am completely lazy, the cages are still on. And I still haven't died. <laughs> I know, but they will come off soon. I promise. Now you were also <laughs> you were also wearing a helmet, correct? I was. Um, I got yeah. I I got a good deal. Um, bought the bike at a garage sale, and they threw in the helmet, so I had no excuses. Always wearing the helmet. People in New York are terrible, though. Many of the adults are not wearing helmets, but I'm saying I'm too old for this crap. I'm wearing a helmet. <laughs> You have to. And in fact, it's a law here in Seattle to wear a helmet. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've I've come to near 
I've, I've been in accidents where I, if I wasn't wearing a helmet, I w- would Ouch. have serious brain trauma. That's scary. Thanks for the story. <laughs> I cracked a helmet. I, I mean, I cracked oh, a helmet. Oh, no, James. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't be cracking helmets. That's terrible. Yeah. Well, you know, when you think oh about riding God. a bike, it's, it's like writing code. You can do everything right, but something may go wrong, and then the entire thing may fall apart. And mm. that it causes Thanks. some critical issues. Do you see how I actually <laughs> led into our topic here on merge? Um, I guess I'm more freaked out. I mean, the segue was great. I love lead-ins, but now I'm just imagining a taxi cab hitting me. But thanks. Um, please continue with your segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is interesting about riding it? Well, so I will. So just wear your helmet, and you're totally fine. That's why they made helmets to protect your noggin and be From smart. Cabs from cabs and honestly though when i it was my fault when i was in the bike accident many moons ago now however you know people you people are crazy right people uh, even when i drive my little smart car it's you're so used to your path of travel that any whiz bang thing that comes out of your way you're not really paying (laughs) attention so honestly it's 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 one of those one of those things but hey you're doing your due diligence you're wearing a helmet you're being smart bike lanes I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and I'm practicing in Brooklyn before I get anywhere near Manhattan. Manhattan is still just like, I don't know. It's like the Black Diamond course. I don't know if I'm ready for it yet. <laughs> yeah. And, and always remember, you are a vehicle. Don't let the vehicles take you down. You are. That's why I'm like, I'm a vehicle. I think I need I a have horn. The right. yeah. <laughs> oh, a horn or a bell, big bell or something. Definitely mm-hmm. helps. <laughs> what are we talking about, Frank? Um, now that we've uh, gone Bike talk off- is over. Okay. okay. <laughs> Tonight, I would like to talk, actually, it's this morning, I would like to talk about analytics, James. We've Mm. talked about this before, and usually I'm the guy that's all like, I don't collect analytics because I I forgot what all my old excuses were, but my my true excuse was I never wanted to collect analytics on people. I always felt it was a little odd, but I decided to turn it on in one of my apps, iCircuit. And, oh boy, have I learned a lot. And I want to take an episode and talk about all that stuff. Sound good? Sure. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I This is really interesting because for so long, for the last seven years that I've known you, you have mm-hmm. been very anti, Yeah. not, not necessarily anti-against that it's a bad idea, but you've really been the Apple approach, which is privacy first. Yes. I don't need this data. I right. don't think it's going to necessarily help me. My apps are flawless. And <laughs> Thanks. What... To what, whenever I was talking to you, is more of the data that I'm collecting. You know, that's a lot of user specific data. Yeah. Well, now we're in a GDPR world, so it's really not user specific. But it was really in the fa- in the face that, like, hey, I don't really think that this data is going to help me at all. So I'm really interested right. to unravel hmm. the reverse that you yeah. have now done it, and then you have come to the dark side or yeah, light side, yeah. whatever, whatever it is. So start uh, us off. Well, just for some background, why I'm afraid of personal information, it's because I've worked in banks and I've worked in public places where you have to take all that stuff very seriously. And the truth is, I don't want to take it seriously. You know, I don't want to deal with it because like to do it properly is a lot of work, archiving, destroying, responding to requests, all that stuff. Personal information to me is... Ugh, I, I don't want it anywhere. <laughs> That's like a virus. Like, keep it off my servers. Keep it away from me. Don't tell me anything. I don't want to know my customers' names. Nothing. Don't tell me anything. But the truth is, um, I, I, um, I was afraid of updating 
because I was always worried about regressions. I think we've even had this discussion before. It's sounding familiar. But it was, it, it was mm-hmm. I was stuck in this kind of paralysis where I didn't want to update because I knew the app was good the way it was. You know, I could load it up on my iPad. It worked. I knew the exact bugs. They weren't big, but everything worked. What I was afraid of doing was doing a release and regressing, regressing because the OS changes, the tooling mm-hmm. has changed, all these things. And so I decided that the only way I could have confidence to do releases and do some proper feature work again would be to have analytics. So I think that that was my main reason, uh, analytics aside. It's really just for crashes and that kind of stuff. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I want the analytics. Um, so, So what I decided, actually, you mentioned it, GDPR, that actually gave me confidence to do all of this. Because in all my research of what I had to do for my websites and everything to be uh, GDPR, are we saying that right? GDPR compliant? They really need a better name. GDPR. Okay. <laughs> yes. So GDPR uh, is the European General oh. General Data Protection Regulation. Got it. GDPR. Got it. Okay. This went this went into effect. Uh, interestingly for me, by the way, I'll I'll go into this GDPR. Mm-hmm offset when I was over in Europe recently. And it was really interesting because every single website I went to when I was in Europe, I had to consent so much to everything, but I could also opt out of things (laughs) too, which was cool. Now, when I got back to America, that was not the case. Everything was hunky dory. (laughs) We're still collecting all your information. Yeah. For most yeah. things, but it's kind of you funny. still get the cookie notifications because it's just too hard to write two versions of a website. You know, it's too much work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all my research as far, you know, I'm not a lawyer. Don't listen to me. But as far as I could tell, the big deal there was just be clear to the user of what you're collecting, how you're using it and what their rights are for deleting it and everything. And so that kind of gave me a clear conscience of like, look, if I just explain to people, I'm not collecting anything interesting here, honestly, to them, it's not interesting. Absolutely zero personally identifiable information, that kind of stuff. So I decided in my head that I could get to this level of not actually exposing any personal information and yet still getting the data that I want to feel confident to do the kind of feature work I wanted. So that was kind of the mental state I got myself to where I felt confident I could be there. I like it. So you were in a comfortable place and then you had to somehow figure out Mm -hmm. what to use. Uh, That one was an easier one for me. Uh, We did an App Center episode a little while ago. I'd been playing around with it in my other apps. If, If anyone hasn't tried this, it's actually a really easy SDK to install. It's like one or two lines of code. You add a NuGet package and immediately you're getting analytics and everything. So super easy to install and get going. So I just went that route, um, <laughs> path of least resistance kind of. Um, but there are a lot of selections out there, obviously. Um, God, <laughs> should we name all of them? What do, what do you want to do? <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's, there's all sorts of things, right? But I mean, I guess when you were looking, like what did you want to get out of it? I guess... You know, you were like, okay, I want to go learn some stuff. Well, what things specifically were you looking to learn? Right. Was it just the crashes or was it that I want to know 
hey, are people using this on the iPhone 5C? <laughs> you know, or like, yeah. what was your main takeaway that you wanted to get? Before I started this project, it was definitely crashes. I was just deathly, I'm deathly afraid of crashes. I think they're embarrassing. I think they're a sign of low engineering standards. I just have a personal thing against them. I hate software that crashes. So that that's what I was thinking. But at the same time, I also updated the app's iOS minimum requirement to iOS 9, which is still pretty mm. old. Uh, what, two years old, but significantly newer than my previous requirement, which was six. And so I was like, Mm. I am done supporting iOS six. And I don't see any reason to support iOS seven and eight when you look at like, you know, what devices support what. So I went to nine. But I was I was making this judgment kind of in the dark. At that point, I wish I had had analytics to tell me the actual distribution of my users. So I would know how many people uh, I'm cutting off. So I was like, I'm comfortable making this decision. But at the same time, I wish I had the data. So I felt more comfortable making the decision. Like, how many people am I actually leaving behind? That's a good point of 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 why even to put that into your application. Because, yeah, you are in the dark and you go, I believe <laughs> in my world that I, you, you know, you have a philosophy, it seems like that it's current release minus two minus current release minus one and apple does give us some statistics so was it that apple from the app store didn't give you enough information on that because there is some Uh, general analytics (laughs) okay and now you're exposing how dumb i can be sometimes i forgot about that thanks james where were you two weeks ago to pacify me hmm where were you? Well, I will <laughs> I will say that I believe that those are all opt-in yes. informations of app analytics. And at the same time, I mean, I don't ever really want to go into the developer, you know, App Store I Connect. That's it I, too. Kind of I, I, I don't know why I hate it's... logging into that thing. It just gives me nightmares for some. I think it's all the rejection emails. I just assume that when I log in, they're going to tell me, oh, by the way, you're not making any money anymore and you're screwed. <laughs> that's just i assume every time there's just gonna be a red thing saying haha bye <laughs> so it's best to ignore it <laughs> yeah and i look at some of my analytics here and it says okay these are some crashes you're not going to get maybe native crashes right. here's some sessions some product page views i guess and then it, it has a very generic here's iphone yeah like here's iphone yeah, and it's um, the whole portal is so slow. So I have looked through it before, and I did know that my app did actually crash in one place. Those were kind of like the known bugs I knew. But um, as you said, they weren't um, C-sharp managed exception crashes. So you kind of had to guess at what was going on. You weren't getting a stack trace or anything. So I knew, you know, the old app was crashing under certain circumstances. It was just a nice, very low number. So I didn't mind it so much. Um, but I, they didn't have the information I needed to have be proactive about it but you throw in um, a managed sdk crash detector like app center and all of a sudden you're getting proper full stack traces traces of everything so how long did it take from installation or like release of new app to be like okay no i need i need this is amazing (laughs) well actually it was the beta testers like, oh. uh-huh. um, <laughs> once I realized that I could, <laughs> this is creepy now, <laughs> um, there's an event system in App Center. So you can broadcast like, oh, the person created a new circuit. They added a resistor to it. You know, these very high level. That's all I wanted. Um, the moment that data started flowing in, I was like, oh, I've entered the matrix now. 
And so I just started watching like the log flow, which is the absolute worst UI, but it's very matrixy. So I was enjoying yeah. it very much. And that's when I realized out of my two beta testers immediately, only one actually was using an English version of my app. And I was like, oh, I'm not even localized to one of my beta testers languages. It's like, oh, geez. So like it was just from the beta testers. It was eye opening. And then once it was released, um, yeah, uh, what to say? It took me a day to process all the data and get through it. And, and not just process, but mentally process like, wow there's so much that I didn't realize was going on here. And now I know, and now I can be proactive on it. So what was the most surprising part of it? Was it the crashes? Was it that you thought that you had a more complete application or like, how did you start to dissect that information? Because to me, that's the problem is, you know, like Heather was a a data analyst, you know, Mm. in a, in a past, past career. That's why Uh she did a lot of R development Uh and her thing was that there's just so much data, right. And a lot of data scientists and things like their job is to figure out how to parse it. Now you're just a developer that has the data. What do you do with the data? Right. Right. Uh, so quick interlude here. Um, I'm starting to understand how app center works a little bit. Um, they only show you the top 10 of a lot of things. So top 10 devices, top 10 OS versions, top 10, well, they show you all the crashes. They show you all the events and everything. But they really want to shuffle you off into, uh, what's it called, that Azure Analytics thing? Um, application Insights. And yes. that's the big, nasty query, show all the data, really dig in kind of thing. And to be honest, oh, yeah. I'm not so interested in that. I like my top 10 charts. <laughs> <laughs> I just want my dashboard. I'm okay with the top 10. <laughs> so I haven't had, I, I think sometimes, especially around uh, iOS versions, I do dig in to the application insights so I can see a complete set of data. But for the most part, I'm pretty happy with just the uh, surface level dashboard stuff like that. So most surprising thing, um, I'm going to leave the analytics to the side. I was happy with my crashes. I got to say, my app does not crash (laughs) as much as I, you know, think at night it does or, you know, anything like that. And that's good because I put quite a bit of effort into the app trying to prevent it from crashing. But it did have a few crashes I didn't know about. Uh, Those weren't surprising. What was surprising was all the, I'm going to call them silent crashes These are where I throw an exception and I catch it, you know, fine, the app didn't crash, but something still didn't go right. You know, I wasn't expecting that exception to be thrown. So maybe a feature didn't work or maybe an error box would have been popped up in front of the user. You know, a lot of different things can happen from these caught exceptions. But I was amazed at the number of caught exceptions my app was dealing with. I never, ever saw these things in development time. Never saw them with the beta testers because I wasn't collecting the data from the beta testers. And so it was just eye-opening how many times it was soft, silently crashing, whatever you want to call it. Exceptions. I will, they're, 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 <laughs> They're handled exceptions where yes. you are, yeah, just, everyone has all of these try catches everywhere in their code. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, you know, no big deal because you can't crash or your app can't crash. And that's right. the ideal it's scenario. Fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Especially in app review. In app review, <laughs> right. your app can't crash. So that's exactly. all that matters. <laughs> and I will give you a good story. I'll kind of have stories of how I use some of this stuff along the mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. is I used to have a uh, bike sharing application called oh, Bike yeah. Now, which was for Pronto that was here. And there was one day where I woke up and I checked my analytics and I had 
7,000 oh, no. caught exceptions of the same exception. Okay? Yeah, exactly. I had 500. That's interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Of the same one. And you're yeah, like, hmm, same one. <laughs> that, that, that's interesting. Yeah. And this exposed two issues in my application. And this was an HTTP request er- er- error. And I was just mm-hmm. catching it. I go, oh, well, if you can't make that web request, use the cache version, no problem. Sure. So two issues uh, that happened here. The first issue was that the backend that I was using was down. So that oh, actually please. alerted me that I need to go fix yeah. that. Good, good. The second issue is that when I looked into my application, the reason that I was getting over and over again, all of these exceptions very tightly looped is because I just put it in a, 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 a do loop like <laughs> forever. Like, so it would catch it mm-hmm. and it would just try again. So if this backend was down, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. So oh. I then refactored my code. I spun up a new <laughs> backend that I could manage with a, a URL that I could dynamically change mm-hmm. it back if the backend was down. And so it exposed two problems. But like, had I never right. introduced that one single caught exception, I would have never known. Yeah. And these are all over the place for me. I mean, they're as small as someone put two periods, you know, on a number or something like that. But mm. that rejects the whole number. It never occurred to me, oh, what does happen under that error scenario? You know, like who, no one mistypes. Everyone types perfectly, right? Gosh, what, what, yeah. what, what were they thinking? Type right. Um, but honestly, um, I would say 90% of these are <clears throat> object reference not sent to an instance of an object or null reference exception, mm. our friend. So if you work on the C-sharp team, I could really, really, really use that uh, nullable reference types feature that's coming because turns out I suck at null. <laughs> Maybe that's why I love F sharp because there's no null, but oh my God, like all of these silent crashes are null, 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 null. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm super excited for C sharp eight that will definitely help us. But at, at the same time, at least it I helped identify yes. You know, oh, yeah. These issues. I think that's the important it part. Is. Um, and for the most part, I'd say most of them were innocuous. Like, you know, the, the user would never really tell that an error happened. But in a few of them, like the oscilloscope wouldn't come up. You know, I, I could tell like from the error path that, you know, it would just things wouldn't work. And so that's a whole huge major feature of the app that just wouldn't be exposed if they ran into that error. So it was actually really great to catch a lot of these silent ones and it's just (laughs) it's just embarrassing first off but at the same time you get a real sense of accomplishment so i spent all day today going through every single one of them reproing it getting the fix in and even if it doesn't impact the user it'll just be nice to see like a zero count (laughs) for all these silent crashes or at least get it down to a nice manageable level we call those you know paper cuts Mm. you know they're little tiny cuts of your application where to you, you're like, oh, the application's working as expected, or like, oh, the user's doing this wrong thing, and of course I'm getting this exception, but maybe I can introduce a workflow that won't throw this exception or give this error. I give a better feedback to the user of what to do. Like, oh, maybe I can't have two dots in it, so I'm going to put a little validation message and tell the user instead of, you know, and then that rolls into just a better user experience at the end of the day. Yeah, you nailed it. And that's exactly the yeah. kind of approach I've been trying to take. It's like, well, when I repro it, A, make sure that 
an error message is presented, you know, because sometimes you do that too, right? You kind of super hide the error. You don't even notify the user that there is an error. So make sure I at least notify the user and under better circumstances, handle the error, maybe even like work around it or improve the UI. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly what I've been trying to do. Well, I want to also find out a little bit more about what you're learning about your actual users mm-hmm. using the device. But let's take a quick break, Frank, and thank our sponsor this week, our good friends over at BitRise. Yes, you know BitRise, you love BitRise. They are a continuous integration and continuous delivery service for any and all of your mobile apps. They support building, testing, and deploying your apps for iOS, Android, Xamarin, or any hybrid platform. What's great here is that they not only have all of the cloud hosting, all the goodness, that you want, but they help you generate a workflow for building, testing, and distributing your apps with more than 170 open source integrations. So you can do things like bump version numbers, do string replacing, you know, build your application, deploy it um, to test flight or to Google Play directly from your build and CI. Now, what's cool on top of that is they also have a CLI that you can run locally so you can do all of it on your local machine so you can kind of debug with things before sending it up into BitRise. Now they do a bunch of other great things such as automatically provisioning your iOS applications. They do recursive touch caching for iOS so you get faster builds and they even have integration into uh, Android emulator test runners. So you can do all of that straight from BitRise with their virtual device testing. So all you got to do is go to bitrise.io. They have a free account where you can start building your applications in minutes. So there's no reason not to get started today. Simply go to bitrise.io or follow the links in the show notes below. And thanks to Bitrise for sponsoring Merge Conflict. Thank you, Bitrise. I do love them, except when they send me those build failed emails. I don't like them then, but it's not really their fault, technically. Well, it's your fault. (laughs) You're saying when you break the build, you get upset that... Stop bugging me. I know I broke the bill. No, I didn't know I broke the bill. It's actually a very valuable message. Thank you for emailing me. But at the same time, I hate you. (laughs) Ah, Arg. Arg. So iCircuit, you you integrated this into. Mm -hmm. Now that application was featured when the iPad launched inside of Apple stores around the world. It's very famous. Uh, It's part of almost every presentation I do. (laughs) And uh, I only ever see you use it on an iPad. So I assume that you're gating analytics and you're realizing that 99% of people use iPads. So why even invest in an iPhone version? Is that Uh, what you're finding? No, James, you would be incorrect, it turns out. But your train of thought was good. In fact, it was the train of thought I was following. (laughs) So I wrote an iPad app, and I always do use it on the iPad. And I imagine this app isn't that fun on a phone. Who would ever use this on a phone? But I made a phone version because sometimes you're on the go and you want to make circuits. (laughs) And so I'm like, no one, but probably very few people use it on the phone. Was I ever wrong? Oh, my God. So it turns out everyone uses this app on their phone. And it just never occurred (laughs) to me at all. And wow, so I've had to take a second look at it. Oh, by the way, do you know which uh, phone is number one in iOS? Take a guess. In iOS, iPhone 6S. Ooh, that's the number two iPhone. The number one is iPhone Mm. 10. My customers have good taste. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I'm very proud of them. Interesting. Yes. And that's awesome because I just put a bunch of effort into making sure it worked well on the iPhone 10. So, phew, thank God I did that. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of safe inset code in pretty much every line of UI now. It's kind of terrible. 
Oh, that's 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 interesting. I had someone demoing me an app recently, and they go, "Oh, can you know? Like, oh, I'm building this application. I just want to know that if I pick you know Xamarin or whatever, can I build this beautiful application like this one for iOS?" Mm-hmm. And they opened it up, and they had an iPhone. They had an iPhone X, yeah. and none of the insets were set. <laughs> like nothing like worked, and they're like. Well, you know, obviously, I mean, they got to update this app, but I mean, you know, you get it. The oh, animation like, yeah, you can do all this. <laughs> Come right? on, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how low standards people have. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> so your app, I guess, is iPhone. Turns out it's an iPhone app. Yeah, I didn't even know it was an iPhone app. Yeah. So I'm an iPhone developer. I thought it was an, I, I was an iPad developer, but I'm not. So um, talk about learning from your customers. This was a big step back. So now I'm auditing basically every bit of UI to see if I can, you know, increase hit targets, make things scroll better, make things like make sure you can zoom quickly, automatic zoom as much stuff as I can to make using this thing on a tiny little device useful. You know, I guess it must be students just doing it. Hopefully they're not cheating on tests. Hmm. Now that I think about it. <laughs> so it, it must be then dramatically altering your backlog of what you want to implement in this app. Uh, not so much. Um, so <laughs> usability to me is always number one. I don't see any reason to write a mobile app unless you make it a mobile app. It was never my goal to write a desktop app and put it on the iPad or iPhone. I was always writing a mobile circuit simulator. So kind of worse for me, it gave me an excuse to geek out on usability. (laughs) So I kind of love doing all this kind of work and everything. Um, So I don't mind it, to be thoroughly honest. The unfortunate thing is it is quite a bit of work because it really is an iPad app. Everyone go buy iPads. Um, (laughs) but, um, uh, it's fun too, right? Like it's good to get a problem and to say, okay, well now I'm going to focus on the phone and make sure this thing is kick ass on a phone. It's a fun problem to solve. I like problems like that. So I don't mind it so much. Um, backlog, backlog is a little trickier for this app. This app is eight years old. (laughs) The backlog is literally 800 items. So there is some very strategic ordering of the backlog. And so what it tends to be for me um, is iOS updates plus the user voice stuff. Um, I keep a separate uh, list of features that users want versus features that I want kind of, you know, those, that distinction. And so it's, it's usually whenever I do a release, I do 50% of what I want, 50% of what the users want. And I find that's a decent balance, something like that. That makes sense. Uh, It's, then interesting that so I think of the devices who you kind of have this new validation of maybe when you're starting to work on those features in your backlog to ensure that the compatibility is there because it sounds like when you were building this application you you focused it to go everywhere but maybe did additional optimizations for the iPad because that's what you were testing and on and honestly the difference may be that now when you use your application you use it less on ipad and use it more on iphone for testing is that maybe the difference yeah yes exactly so now it's on my carry phone and whenever i'm standing in line i challenge myself i'm like how big of a circuit can you build and then i get frustrated with how the ui works yeah so it's a fun fun moment to be able to geek out like that you know my preferred setup is to just have a desktop computer with an ipad next to it it's so comfortable you write apps it's it's a lovely setup but with the phone it's a little different because you really want to test holding it in your hand you don't really Mm -hmm. want to test it on a stand that's not how people use this thing 
And so you want to make sure everything's reachable and all that kind of stuff. And you can only find out if it's in your hands. So it's a little more annoying <laughs> making sure it's handworthy. But again, that's the fun part. That's why I do mobile apps. I want to make them better than desktop apps. It's yeah, fun. makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Want to know something else? Yeah, I'm ready. I, I got a big one. I wasn't okay. ready for this one. I always assumed that assumed that 90% of my users spoke English and ran their iPhones and iPads in English mode. Turns out I'm an jingoistic idiot or something like that. <laughs> um, English uh, is, well, I'll, I'll give a few fun little analytics here. So United States is not my number one user. Other Whoa. is. <laughs> so oh, okay. that means the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, it, 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 like I said, I, I like to look at the top 10. And if you don't dig in, um, App Center groups, everything under other. So it's the remaining. Below the United States is Germany. I love the Germans. And then um, the classic. Um, uh, I, don't, I said classic because this happens for every single one of my apps. Maybe I'm different. We all have our user bases. But for me, it's always Germany, Japan, and Italy. Hmm. The, those are always my top um, non-US, non-English speaking countries. I, so I always found that interesting. But I think... The, the real number here was that other, that I just didn't realize how diverse a set of people were using this app. And I have to admit something here. It is the most poorly translated app of all of mine. It's, it's my biggest app. It's my most successful app. And yet I'm an idiot and never translated it to anything. And so... A hundred percent, at least for the main important parts of the UI, I'm going through and translating and paying to have translations done for at least the top languages, because, yeah. you know, the, if if I was a German speaker and I'd, I, I'm sure they all, <laughs> they're all so intelligent. They all seem to be able to speak English, but <laughs> I would still be frustrated. I would want to see it in German. Honestly, yeah. if I was Japanese, I want to see it in Japanese. You would prefer that. So I think it's only kind. You may even then progress even further because what happens now is that not only can you translate your application, but maybe you're going to translate your app store images and your app mm -hmm. store descriptions to be in those languages. Right. Now, what that does is then drive usage in those regions even higher. And you already know what your top regions are. And those users mm -hmm. totally want them to be in their language. And it's something I fail in all the time, which is, yeah. I'm one developer. How am I supposed to translate this application into oh, everything? It's so hard. That's what I keep telling myself until I actually sat down and started to do the work. And it's really not that bad. Yeah. It's a little annoying if you don't speak the language. <laughs> like I always cheat with German. It's a combination of like Google Translate and looking at other apps to figure out the translations of certain things. But the truth is you can pay someone to translate your app and it's not that expensive. Um, they usually charge per word, I find. And so if you're just doing like the user interface of your app, it's pretty cheap. And mm -hmm. then maybe spend a few more dollars hours, as you said, for the description of your app and maybe um, the help file I'm debating. It's kind of long, so I don't think that one will get translated, but definitely the app store bits and then um, the main parts of the UI. For I sure. use, it's worth it. We have a, a tool at Microsoft that works in any application, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms with ResX files, anything. It's called the Multilingual Toolkit. Do you know about this? Yes. Yes. Uh, we had presentations about this in our meetup. Um, it was 
it is fantastic. And I think that even has some baked in translation. So you don't even have to pay or do anything yourself. It has a few things already translated for you. Yeah. So what happens here, this is really interesting. So any mobile developer writing any application, I'll put this in the show notes. I have a yeah. video uh, with Cameron on how to translate applications. We do Xamarin oh, forms, but cool. it's for anything. Yeah. And what's nice is that there's two things. This is really, really cool. First thing is that <laughs> you can load your ResX files or your dot. What, what are the iOS ones? Um, it's just um, these text files. They're like, you know, something equals something, something equals something. What do they call it? A strings file or something? Strings file. So you can take those uh, or even remember. you can take Android XML files, anything to mm-hmm. do this. You load it into like Visual Studio 2017 has it all built in with the extension, but you load it into the multilingual toolkit, which is I think it's a WPF app for the desktop. But what's cool is that you say, I would like to translate this file into these four languages and you set up Bing Translate as a service and it will just translate everything for you for free. It bings it. It bings it. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's super cool. But, so I'm going to have to dig that up. But it gets better because those are just machine translations. You may want a mm-hmm. real user to translate them. Maybe you know someone yeah. that speaks Spanish or Japanese. So what you can do is instead of sending them the iOS file, it creates a universal standard. The person that you send these translations to, they can uh, install the application, do modifications and edits, send that file back, or it can be in source control. And then you can then load that up and it will do a diff and then import that back into your iOS application. Uh-huh. So they never have to touch uh-huh. your iOS application code. They touch this file and it synchronizes it magically. So it gives it that nice handoff, which is pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. that's <laughs> I'm glad you reminded me of this because, you know, me, I started to write my own diff tool. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I am going to stop work on that right now and get this thing running because, yeah, that sounds excellent. Immediately, you realize just how redundant all this stuff is. Like the word resistor, you know, in German, I'm pretty sure it's still resistor. I can't remember, but <laughs> it's pretty basic stuff. And so I think 90%, I would totally trust that being translate for. But that last 10%, you definitely want a human to check over to make sure you're not being stupid or insulting or anything like that. Yeah, and it gives you at minimum, a set of translations that are probably better than no translations. <laughs> That's mine. You know, okay, I, I always do wonder this. What, what's your opinion? Uh, machine translation better than no translation? Are you going to go? That's a good one. It depends on the type of application because mm. I was talking to some developers in the Czech Republic and they go, I love, you know, the Microsoft documentation, but the, everything is machine translated and it's all developer mm-hmm. talk and it's long paragraphs <laughs> and they're mm-hmm. all machine translated where I think if one or two words, that's really easy. It's add like you can't, yeah. you know, <laughs> I think that's the difference where the longer sentences you want someone to yeah. n- know and go through it. Yeah, for me, it's mostly command names and property names. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like your property inspector, all that stuff. So I feel pretty confident that 90% will survive the Bing Translate, and I cannot wait to run it now. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, one thing I'm really interested in is if you took advantage of kind of the eventing system and actions, because when I was writing my very first application for mobile, uh, my media center, 
I always tell this really great story of why it's so important to learn from your users. Because I spent six months on this application, seven months on this application, which is a remote DVR management tool. It had all of these sections. It had movies and new releases and scheduled and upcoming episodes and all these things that you could possibly get. And mm-hmm. then, of course, there was a grid guide. So if you think about when you turn on your television, you have this grid guide. So I, I implemented this on iOS, Android, and Windows with Xamarin. And I spent a lot of I spent a lot of time on each section. I kind of gave each section a fair amount of development time. Yeah, yeah. And I did have a long release cycle, but I don't think I integrated analytics until a little bit later than I, at the time, eight years ago, it was a very wide, <laughs> crazy, I was using different ones for iOS, Android, and Windows, all these different things. So what happened is I, I decided that I don't want to collect too much information about my users, but I want to know one important thing, which is I have 10 sections of my application. Where are my users going? Yes. Yeah. I, at just that high level, like, which screen are you on? <laughs> what it. screen are you going to? Are, are you going to settings ever? Are you going to this page ever? So what I found out. Do you remember? Is that, yeah, 70% of the time. So 70% of the usage of the application yeah. was in the grid guide. So they love the grid. They loved it. They <laughs> loved the grid. And I didn't think that they were going to love the grid, but they loved the grid. Not the channel, <laughs> not the upcoming or whatever. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They love the grid. But it was one of the worst parts of the experience because it's very complicated. Aha. Uh-huh. So did that motivate you to go back and do all your usability studies on the grid? That is correct. So I yeah, told my cool. boss, <laughs> I said, hey, I think that if I do a spike on each platform, because they're very unique, if I do a spike and re-architect the grid guide, spend a lot of time on loading faster on this and that mm-hmm. and all these different things, yeah. that I truly believe that we can upgrade and get better reviews in the app store. So mm-hmm. I spent uh, two weeks on each platform. So it was about a month and a half that I spent. So um, iOS put it out, Android put it out, Windows put it out. And it was, you know, these very uh, enhancements. And I totally got like, I increased our, our star reviews overall. Really? And of course the use, yeah, it totally, it totally happened. Yeah, nice. it was really crazy because people are like, oh, wow, but, this, this update is great. And it was, you know, the the release note was major enhancements to the grid guide. You know, this was like the <laughs> thing I don't did. Don't miss it. Yes, yeah. this is all yeah. I did. And this is, you know, this is the big one. Not not stability and bug fixes. Like I redid mm-hmm. the grid guide. And of course, it, it increased the, the overall satisfaction of the application. So, yeah, it was really mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I also took full advantage of the event system. <laughs> At first, um, going back to the personal information, I was very reticent to do any events at all. And then I decided, okay, I want to know a few things. Number one, what's the most common part that they put in? Do they like capacitors or do they like resistors? You know, what do people <laughs> like? <laughs> and basically that tells me what I should be spending my time on making sure is awesome, right? That's kind of what I wanted to know. And maybe <clears throat> which parts I could ditch eventually someday. <laughs> you know, that would be nice to know too. And so I did add events, uh, just a couple. And then I was uh, testing the software. And I think I mentioned earlier the matrix mode the App Center gives you, where it's just a flow of all the logging events. And I started to say, wow, I find this very interesting and fascinating and somewhat hypnotizing. I'm going to add more events. And I added more events and more events. And I started adding properties and sub properties and all sorts of metadata to them. 
<laughs> and I, I was still very proud though because uh, there's a, no personal information. It really is boring, stupid data. I don't need, nothing interesting here, but it's data that I've always wanted myself. For so for me, it's you know which part are you adding? Adding which uh, properties of those parts are you editing? You know resistance value that kind of stuff. And how often are you wiring? And you know, um, how many circuits per day do you create? Because that's just a fun number for me. <laughs> that one's just a fun one. But it's been such a, I, I, I couldn't believe, talk about surprises, right? So I, was, I have this funny little feature in the app. And to me, it's always just been a little toy feature. So if you add a little button to the app and you connect it all up, in the app, you can touch the button and let go of the button, touch the button, let go of the button. It connects the circuit, mm-hmm. disconnects the circuit. It's fun. It's cute. But to me, as an engineer, it's cute. It's not useful. It's just cute. And it's fun. And so I'm like, no one would ever use this because they would realize that it's not useful. It's just fun. (laughs) (laughs) James, people like fun. People do like fun. That stupid little button gets clicked all the time. And I never (laughs) realized it. People love that stupid little button. (laughs) And so it's occurred to me, I should add more fun things to the app turns out <laughs> so it's just these like obvious things in retrospect but until you have the data slapping you in the face maybe you just don't see it but yeah people like clever silly little things and so sure i'm gonna add more clever silly little things to it <laughs> yeah it's it is really fun to kind of see what your users start to use as time goes on in the application uh, mm-hmm. and, and be like, oh, I guess that little thing I added over there, actually people do <laughs> want more of yeah. that. So maybe I'll do more of that, I guess. Yeah, um, exactly. So you're, so you're yeah. happy. You're happy overall. It sounds like. I'm kind of ecstatic overall. I'm a little mad at myself for not doing this a couple years sooner, to be honest. Um, but again, I just didn't have the confidence until kind of Europe forced us all to think really hard about what it means to have personal identifiable information. So I think just, um, you know, you get things when you're ready for them. I was finally ready for analytics and I was welcoming <laughs> for it. So I was open-minded to it. Did you have any drawbacks? Like, Do you regret anything? Is there anything that you wish was improved is like too much data for you to consume or no i haven't had that i we mentioned that the the, there's a silent crash that happens way too often so that's a little annoying just to see that i do have a few gripes here and there like app center ad added a lot of megabytes to my app size which because the app is so old it was designed to fit on much smaller devices the app is still small it's still fast it downloads over uh cellular no problems there but it was just a little sad because you know in my mind it's a three megabyte app and now it's a 30 megabyte app and you're just like ugh, all that for crashes huh (laughs) but you gotta do what you gotta do uh I, I was a little reticent. I went for an um, opt-out instead of opt-in strategy. And I honestly might back that and switch it to an opt-out later on. But again, just to build up this confidence and make sure that I had a good baseline, I really did want to collect a lot of data in the very beginning. But I think um, my personal preference would be to have only an opt-in system and bug the user at some point and ask them to record the data instead of asking them not to record the data. It's it's a minor difference. You have a way for people, by default it's on, you have a way for people to yes. turn it off. It. Yeah, and I make it very obvious. I'm like, look here, <laughs> I'm collecting this stuff, only this, only that. 
here's an easy button, click the button, and zero, it's all zapped away. You're not reporting anything, nothing. It all shuts down. Uh, and just from a code level, always abstract over something. So I already had a logging class in the app. And so I just put App Center into my logging class with a few Booleans controlling whether it was actually allowed to operate and turn on and turn off and all that stuff. And so I just spent a day making sure that that on off button was true, true, true. It wasn't lying. You know, you turn it off and all the data is erased and not sent to me anymore. And that, again, is just me being paranoid. I I don't want to mess with users. <laughs> I just, I want them to be happy. But in this case, I desperately wanted the information and I didn't want um, a selection bias, to be honest. I've taken enough statistics classes to be completely afraid of selection bias. And so I just wanted a random sampling. And so that's what I got. But now that I have this, now that I know what state the app's in, I may or may not switch it to opt out instead. I'm sorry, nice. uh, opt in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Opt in. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I in developing apps in your privacy policy, most, most applications, people understand they're probably collecting some things, whether they know it or not, but kind of in that world, that is nice. So you have the little, uh, opt out and again, architecting an application in a nice little way of easily flipping on and off switches is definitely how I do it too. It's don't, I don't like to put the call to the analytics or crash reporting directly in my try catch, but <laughs> Make that right. call something that has that toggle on so you can easily do that. And in mm-hmm. fact, in Xamarin, uh, I think the Hockey, not Hockey, but uh, App Center, they have a global turn on, turn off. So even if you call the method. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, you can say disable analytics for this entire device pretty easily, which oh, is kind of very nice. good. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I'll have to tap into that. Yeah, right now I'm doing my own switches on and off. Yeah. Yeah, just do it. Just call, call their stuff. Like they have a, <laughs> a bull, you set one property, is it on or off? And even if you call stuff, it won't collect anything. It won't collect the device information, anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I was being super aggressive too, where, um, even if you don't turn on a lot of, uh, if you just enable crash logging, of course it goes on there. Even if you have it disabled, it's not going to send it over the network or anything, but I'd even want to tap in. So if you start the app and you're opted out, it's not even going to execute any app center code zero oh. of it so nothing registers it absolutely cannot transmit oh, so wow. that was that was the super safety i put in but i can put in these soft safeties too <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty good that's a good uh i mean that's a good way to doing it just like hey no for real i know that nothing will yeah. be called it's impossible <laughs> not that i don't sure. trust microsoft but maybe i don't trust anyone <laughs> yeah oh bad all right, yeah, well, anything yeah. else you want to mention about your your journey oh, into no. analytics? This is uh, this is good. Um, I, I think we've talked about analytics before, like I said, but I just wasn't sold on it. So I just hope maybe if there's anyone out there like me, I'm sure if you work for a big company, they're forcing you to do this anyway. So that's not a big deal. But if you're like me, consider it. It's nice. All this data. It's good. <laughs> turns out. <laughs> yeah, it is good. It's good. You just have to figure out what to do with it now. That's all you got to do. Yeah, yeah. So. All <laughs> right. Well, good. well, lots of good stuff. I'm, I'll have all the links to some of the stuff that we talked about today in the show notes. And yeah, we're back in it. They're going to be hearing more of Frank and James ongoing. But, you know, we we would like your feedback on the interviews that we did. We had some good feedback just about how we were doing you know, sponsorship reads and also how we were interviewing people 
uh, just kind of letting people talk and stop, you know, asking questions, but, uh, hope, hope everyone enjoyed them and, you know, maybe next build or other events, we'll do some more. So let us know, you know, who you like to see on the show. If you like that style, if you're just like, uh, just, just Frank and James, if you like just a Frank and James show, well, that, that's what we got for you too. Well, I think that's going to do it, Frank. Uh, you can follow us everywhere on the internet. I'm at James Montemagno at Proclarum at Merge Conflict FM on the Twitters. Uh, MergeConflict.fm, that is our website you can go to. You can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast applications. And of course, rate, review, subscribe, do all those things that we would uh, appreciate and really helps grow the user base of the, of the show. Um, and that's it, uh, Frank. I think that's going to do it. So until next time, this has been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.